Hi, this is Chantel Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. Welcome to Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. In this third and final episode from the Flathead Valley, we're speaking to a highly service-oriented individual who was born and raised in this area, has contributed enormous time and effort to local boards and committees, and firmly believes that everyone has a role to play in bettering their community. Tony Brockman is a graduate of both the Leadership Montana flagship program and the master's class. He works for Vault Media, but although he is a media expert, he is likely better known for his tremendous community service. Tony believes that too much has been given, much is expected, and that decisions are made by those who show up. Those two beliefs help explain why Tony shows up for his community with astounding frequency and consistency. Today we'll hear Tony tell us about his passion for service, along with other fascinating insights into what makes the Flathead Valley tick. Notably, Tony provides an in-depth analysis of the massive Kalispell core and rail project, and he tells us an extraordinarily powerful story about his life of quote, countless contradictions and endless optimism. Heads up to our listeners, you may hear some children in the background of this episode. Those are former podcast guest Jim Bliss's grandchildren, simply enjoying an afternoon at their grandpa's business. Without further delay, here's Tony. So Tony, let's start. I'll just ask you, let's go this Friday, weekend's coming up, it's been a hell of a year. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. Doing okay. Uh, admittedly, I need some... Uh, quality windshield time uh hopefully opportunities later this year will will provide that good windshield time just a trip over to eastern montana and you're going to be in business right i know i'm looking uh, i'm looking forward to to uh some leadership montana travel later this year hmm. you're from here right born and raised yes actually just down the road oh really all right well give us the story give us the the baseline for who tony brockman is well, I was born and raised here in uh, in Kalispell, and uh, graduated the University of Montana um, in 2009, and have committed myself to working in nonprofits and government. And actually, uh, I now work for a traditional company, but it's actually the second company I've ever worked for. So, so second private. Yes. Sector company. What did you go to college for? History and political science. Okay. And you ran for county commissioner. Yes. Last mm-hmm. year, I ran for Flathead County Commissioner and lost by 90 votes in the primary. <sighs> yeah. Local elections matter. So I want to talk to you about your political career, but first I, I want to say that, you know, rumor on the street, a little birdie told me that you just serve on an incredible amount of boards <laughs> and that you're very service oriented. So can you color that in for us? <laughs> yeah, I, I serve on one or two boards. Um, 
actually have kind of lost count how many boards, advisory councils, committees I serve on, but I just have a lot of opportunity and a lot of time, and I believe very much in, you know, to much uh, has been given, much is expected. And so I try to put my talents and my perspective towards causes that I care about. Can you give us names of a few of these groups that you're part of? Sure. Uh, uh, Top of mind is I serve on the Flathead County Economic Development Authority. Mm -hmm. I serve on the Evergreen Rural Fire District. Um, I serve on the Flathead Food Bank. Um, I'm a previous board member for Montana PBS and Humanities Montana, which is the state affiliate for the National Endowment for the Humanities. Wow. Okay. So how do you make those selections about where you want to invest your time and resources? Well, you know, admittedly, uh, 10, 15 years ago, it was about developing a resume. I'll make no bones about that. Now, because I have all this experience on boards, I can select what I want to devote my time to. And really, it comes down to that. How do I want to make an impact? How do I want to spend my time? Because anyone who has ever committed their life to a board knows that it is very time intensive. Not everybody would invest their time in that way, right? So what do you think it was about maybe your upbringing or your background that has oriented you towards spending your time that way? So being a history and political science nerd, I care very much about civics. And I believe that everyone has a role in bettering their community, whether that be their local community, their community at a statewide level, or their community at a national level. And um, you know, wherever a person can give back, they should. Uh, you know, there was a time and a place in this country where you know, factory workers and farmers would spend their entire day working, and then they'd go and they'd serve on school boards and city councils. I don't see a whole lot of that anymore. And while I appreciate it, some good Netflix time, I think that we're doing that way too much. We are, right now, I think that we are way too focused on our own self-interest as a collective people, and we need to contribute a little more to the community. And frankly, I think we're seeing the results of some very selfish behavior. Say more about that. Where are we seeing those results? Uh, Just, I mean, the lack of civility, the lack of community engagement. Yeah. So we've met. We met in 2016 when I was in the Leadership Montana flagship class. We came out to Whitefish, and you made the trip over, and you were um, talking about this Kalispell core and rail project. Did I get that name right? Correct. Okay. Um, and it seemed like it was an awfully long ways off. I have to tell you that we spoke to Kyle Waterman this early afternoon, um, and he started telling me about this project. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We have Tony Brockman coming in. <laughs> Yeah, I got a, and he kept, but you know, I wasn't going to interrupt him, so I was have to. Kyle slice. trying to steal my thunder. Well, you know, <laughs> unintentionally, and so I. Um, but anyway, I really want to hear you talk about this project. I think you're incredibly um, passionate about it. I think it's 
central to Kalispell, I mean something, I know almost nothing about this community, Tony. And one thing that's very obvious is the layout is of the town is such a different vibe. And I think that's because of the fact that the, the rail bisects the community essentially, Correct. right? So I'll just let you go. What, tell me, tell me about this project about, especially it's been a 10 year effort, right? It's been a 12, 13 year effort. Kalispell is historically a, a rail town. Uh, we were established by James J. Hill and Charles Conrad in 1892. And the railroad tracks uh, were completed on January 1st of 1892. And that's really how Kalispell came to be. Um, and since the beginning of our community, the railroad tracks bisected our community. Um, and in 2008 and 2009, the city of Kalispell and the Plata County Economic Development Authority came together in a partnership to remove the tracks from downtown and install a 1.6 mile pedestrian and bike trail, as well as a linear park that would connect our community and revitalize that area that had historically been um, needing some redevelopment efforts. And this project had been attempted for about really the last 30 years. You know, people had failed, tried and failed multiple times because removing tracks from a, a community is very difficult. You know, uh, when your land is given to you in perpetuity by Abraham Lincoln, railroads really aren't the, they don't want to give up that land, you know. It's a, it's a sticking point. Um, so it took many years to get everyone on the same page. And because we had to relocate two rail-served businesses from downtown that were, on average, receiving only about 600 cars. Now, Eric, 600 is a lot of rail cars to you and me, but to, to BNSF, it's not a whole lot of rail cars. Mm. So finally, we divvied up the, the project assignment. The Flathead County EDA built the Glacier Rail Park and relocated those businesses there. And then the city of Kalispell is going to remove the tracks and put in the, tr the, the trail as well as the linear park. At every point, this project could have and should have failed. Um, you know, to, there were so many players, there were so many steps in the process to, rem, to, to get this project accomplished. Um, it truly, this project truly is a national model for redevelopment efforts. You know, not only did we have to remove rail and we're about to start the trail, we have to clean up these properties that are historic or environmentally damaged um and it's it's a tall order to rehabilitate land why is that because um we have to meet now certain environmental standards in order to to ensure that um the property can be adequately redeveloped to enable uh, housing and mixed-use development. Did I understand right that some businesses had to be totally relocated for this? You had to rip up track, and then around that track was 
were businesses that had to be moved? Yes. So we're about to tear up the track now. But okay. before that, yes, those businesses had, there were two rail serve businesses that had to be relocated, built, and be operational before we could move to the removing the rail tracks piece. How do you compensate them for lost revenue? During A the lot of money. Just pay them. Yes. Okay. Did you have really good consensus across the community in terms of this needs to get done? There was a lot of buy-in and everyone had recognized that it needed to be done, but it was such a behemoth that no one knew how to get it done. And really, this isn't something that happens. There's not you know, communities just down the road doing this type of work. So really, we had to to build the plane ourselves and to get it going. So is anybody knocking on the door or calling on the phone to say, you know, teach us how to get this done? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and really, this project, um, it truly took off in October of 2015 when we received a Tiger Grant from uh the federal government. Tiger grants are the most competitive federal money to get. There's uh, billions of dollars in requests, but they only give out about $500 million, and we were able to get $10 million. I'm just curious. I mean, something that you've stuck with for so long. Did you jump? Were you on board with this at the beginning, Were you, or when did you join the effort? I joined in 2014. Okay. So... We're seven years into that now, and next week is when the tracks get ripped up. I mean, it's un- incredible that we're here talking to you at this oh, point yeah. in time, right? <laughs> so like, how does it feel? Not, I'm curious how it feels for you personally, but I'm also curious about like the feeling in the community about this project finally coming to fruition. I have not, because there's been so much to tackle, I have not thought about I haven't processed what it will mean to have this project be done. Um, But the general sentiment in the community, much like any other project that takes time, is uh, they wonder why it's taken so long. Um, But they don't know the story behind it. They don't know the fact that we had to get four levels of government on board to build grain elevators. They don't know the story behind this. Um, One of the really cool pieces about this is I'm the youngest person involved in this project, and I get to write the history of this project, which is really cool because there are some people who are in their late 70s and 80s who have been working on this for 30 years. And they won't see the when this is done and when downtown is redeveloped, but I will. When can we expect there to be a like to be done? What is the timeline for next April first? Oh my goodness! Yes. So uh, on Monday, uh, May twenty fifth, uh, is the contract signing, and they begin uh, tearing out the. Con- tearing out the rail tracks, removing the rail tracks on Tuesday. And they will, it'll take about two weeks for them to physically remove the tracks. 
And then they have to begin building the intersections, which summer in the flathead is going to be really nice when they're tearing up intersections. Uh, but we are, like any community in the state of Montana, we are used to road construction season. And they'll begin uh, this fall working on the main pedestrian paths between, uh, between the intersections. Can you give me an example of a roadblock that you thought you'd never get over on this project? <laughs> uh, funding. Right. Now, this project, like I said, really took off in October of 2015 uh, when we received the $10 million Tiger Grant because it, it became real then. Uh, you know, we had done what we could, but it became real when we got that Tiger funding from the federal government. Um, you know, getting getting the businesses on board, getting BNSF to see the value in allowing rail tracks to be removed for public benefit. Um, there were so many stumbling blocks or roadblocks, I should say, in this project, and every one of them could have could have ended this project. But really, it's it's also a story in in resilience and you know, ensuring that that vision is accomplished. You know, mm-hmm. as as grand and lofty as as visions are, bringing them to fruition, bringing that dream to fruition, it feels really good. like to sort of zoom out I just feel like I know very little about this community in this area and you being from here and having run for county commission I presume you know a thing or two <laughs> so what t- tell me something about this valley that folks in other parts of Montana probably don't know that's a really good question I think I'm probably biased towards or with that question because I, I was born and raised here um, we are a great community we are a community with significant challenges, much like anywhere else in the state. Um, I think the the biggest thing, biggest challenge that we have is that we are so geographically isolated. When you came up today, you came up on on one of two highways entering this valley, and so we are geographically isolated. We have you know one major airport. Um, but we we have our quirks just like anywhere else in the state. Mm-hmm. I was interested to hear that sort of your geographic isolation, you know, being two hours away from the nearest interstate and things sort of maybe contributes a little bit to sort of a libertarian streak across the community. Would you say that's a fair assessment? I would say that's 100% accurate um, <laughs> because you have to you have to be reliant on yourself. You can't be or... You have to, you have to rely on yourself. You can't be reliant on someone else. Uh, at only at any given time, we only have five sheriff's deputies for a region that's the size of Rhode Island. So you you have to be a little libertarian uh, because the sheriff or the the emergency services may not get to you in time. It's been a, it's been years ago, but I remember sitting in a, uh, a 
a meeting where our former sheriff uh, was asked a question of, the question was, what is your contingency plan if the Hungry Horse Dam bursts? He looked the person dead in the eye and said, I'm going to bend over and kiss my ass goodbye, and I recommend you do the same, <laughs> because I will not. no one will be able that, to save you. I do feel compelled to talk to you. Um, you're 34, I think, right? I recently turned 35. Oh, man. You I are know, I'm mid-30s. I'm mid-30s now. I'm curious in your, in your run for county commissioner. Is that the first time you've run for elected office, or have you... In 2014, I ran for our local school board okay. um, and also lost. Okay. I'm, I'm curious, did you get any feedback about sort of the downside of being a young person? Were people resistant to you as a candidate in any way because of your youth? And how did you address that concern? I'm sure people were concerned about my age and, and did have questions about my experience. Uh, but they certainly, they quickly learned that I have, you know, I was born and raised in this community, um, very passionate about this community. I have a demonstrated record of service to this community that I would contend, uh, you know, I'd put up against anyone else's record. Um, but also I listen to people and I care about people and um, I'm willing to take the time to to hear people out you know there were multiple days where during the campaign i would spend four hours on the phone talking to one person or a husband and wife team about one issue you know and there was one there was one day i remember sitting outside of the grocery store talking to a man for over three hours about the landfill so i think any candidate needs to prove themselves. And somebody who's younger absolutely needs to prove themselves. But I would say that somebody twice my age absolutely has to prove themselves as well. Yesterday on the phone, when we were talking, you had mentioned that two groups that are discriminated against more than many in Montana, rather that are, let's not quantify it, right? Two groups that are discriminated against Montana commonly are folks with disabilities and Native Americans. And you said, you know, you exist at that inter intersection. Can you talk about that? So is anyone who knows, uh, who's ever filled out a Leadership Montana application, whether it be the flagship program or the master's program, they ask you what your contribution to the class will be and what your perspectives are. Um, and luckily, uh, Jen was patient as I wrote mine because I kind of struggled with it. Took a couple of weeks to write it. Um, and when I finally finished it, I thanked her for her patience. Um, and, and this is what I wrote. I commit to contributing my perspective to this year's class, that of an ambitious, dedicated, exuberant learner and unabashedly audacious Montanan. More specifically, my perspective is rooted at the intersection of two difficult realities, 
multicultural, multiracial, and disability. The paternal side of my family is Crow Native American, and I had an aneurysm at birth, leaving the left side of my body paralyzed and my brain forced to remap itself in entertaining and often non-helpful ways. I'm sensitive to claiming my Native American heritage because I am not an enrolled tribal member, nor did I grow up on the reservation. I'm sensitive even though I carry my family name, which has been on the paternal it been in the paternal line of my family since Montana's fur trading period. I'm also sensitive to recognizing my disability because of the labels and the limits and the cultural realities placed on individuals with disabilities. My parents recognized these realities and limits early on and knew that the world would not be a kind place to me. As such, they raised me to not view myself as disabled and encouraged me to work harder than others because they knew that I would always have to. With all of that said, my circumstances inform my perspective. One of countless contradictions and endless optimism encapsulated in painful reality and crafted by hard truths drenched in the rich history of Native American humor, as well as the dark humor that only comes from spending way too much time around adults and healthcare systems as a child. This is incredibly well written, Tony. Has the world not been a kind place? Or was your parents' prediction accurate? Yes. My parents, for as young as they were in their mid-20s, being faced with the reality of having a special needs child were pretty accurate. And they had, uh, they found themselves, as many people do uh, when they're faced with having a special needs child, uh, they were able to find some pretty good mentors to help them navigate significant challenges. Um, you know, Eric, I did not talk until I was three or four. I did not walk until I was three or four. Um, I remember learning to tie my shoes when I was like eight or nine years old. Um, I actually rode a horse before I could walk um, because I was a one of the early adopters in the equine therapy movement in the state of Montana. Um, and how about the prediction that you would have to work harder than everybody else <laughs> dead on yeah dead on um you know i have to i have to work harder even opening doorknobs mm -hmm. you had mentioned as well in the phone that you um that there's a fair amount of discussion probably st still not enough about folks with disabilities prior to becoming an adult right 18 years and younger and you had mentioned that there's a whole different set of challenges upon entering adulthood. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. You know, our culture is, is not really friendly to individuals with disabilities. Yes, the Americans with Disabilities Act is probably the greatest piece of civil rights legislation that has ever been written. Um, but 
it still doesn't account for a lot of th- challenges. Um, you know, and our system is really based on the, you know, the K through 12. But what happens to an adult who's living with disabilities? There's not a whole lot of resources for those individuals. Um, and it, there are oftentimes very difficult situations that I have to navigate on a daily basis. Tony, could you give us an example of how your unique perspective has contributed to important conversations? I remember sitting in Fort Benton and at the Grand Union, and we're in that room, that conference room right off to the right there. And you know, we start with what are our group norms going to be and having this conversation. And you know, within within moments, um, you know, Chantel was, you know, because we as Leadership Montana do make a concerted effort to welcome everyone. Um, you know, she was speaking about, you know, and we need to understand that, you know, we're here with, you know, on Native American land. And one of the things that has always troubled me, and Chantel did not do this because she's fantastic, but one of the things that has always troubled me is when you're at an, uh, at an event where they recognize that you're standing on what was once Native American land, it's always done during the, uh, during the introduction section where they also tell you where they can find the bathrooms. And to me, that's just horrifically disrespectful. It's almost done as an afterthought. Um, Now, in Leadership Montana, we always do what we can uh, to begin with some sort of honor song or, um, you know, some other culturally appropriate uh, event to recognize that this this whole land once belonged to Native Americans. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we worked through that conversation in Fort Benton. And luckily there were people in the room, such as Marcy McLean, who helped us address those challenging issues. We had difficult conversations. These are difficult topics. But as a result of our Leadership Montana training, we were able to navigate them. Mm-hmm. And we allowed each other grace. That's the definition or, of gracious space, yeah. I think, right? Is <laughs> creating a space where there's enough trust and humility and kindness and patience that people like me can enter and say, oh, I'm going to give this a whirl. I'm probably going to get it wrong. <laughs> you know, and that's the true benefit of Leadership Montana is, yes, Eric, you and I had met before, but we have the same training. You know, while we don't know each other that well, we have the same training, so we have the base to start at. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the we have the capabilities, we have the knowledge to know how to start difficult and challenging topics. All right, you ready for the lightning round? Uh, <laughs> why not? <laughs> Tony, what is a habit? that you've developed that's improved your life? Getting up at 4 a.m. Shut the front door. 
Yeah, I am early to bed, early to rise. I get all my emails and my news fix out at 4 a.m. Hold on. So you wake up. Is it coffee immediately? Oh, yes. Oh. And Not then, an and, animal. And, and, <laughs> and, and coffee and news? Yep. And coffee, and news, and up, emails. And then email. Yeah. So like a two-hour, 6 a.m., you're, you're ready for the next thing? Oh, yeah. Six... Come 6 a.m., I am a functional human. Can I ask about after that, though, if, you, if you're doing all that email work, are you, like, leaving emails completely out of your field of vision for a chunk of the day so oh, you can focus I'm, creatively on... I'm not that pro, no. Okay. Uh, because by about 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock, people are reading those emails and responding. Yeah. <laughs> can you give us a TV or a movie recommendation? I'm really bad at that. I, as much as I like Netflix and, and Hulu and all those services, I rarely get around to watching them. Although I will watch an episode of The Office like <laughs> 35 times before I move on to something else. Arrested Development is another good one. What is the best decision you've made in your life? I'm going to note to listeners really quick, though, that you're one of the few people, guests I've had on the show, that's like, I've listened to every episode. So I think you have an inside track on some of these questions. You, you <laughs> knew they were coming, right? I don't see any notes from you. I'm glad. But I'm, I think you've thought through a few of these probably, right? Any, in, any of my classmates from either the flagship program or the master's class know that I will take my time and crafting the perfect answer to <laughs> any question. So, yeah. As, as small as that question may be, <laughs> you're going to get a great answer. Um, <laughs> that or complete bullshit. <laughs> what was the question? The best decision you've made in your life. I believe that uh, decisions are made by those who show up. And so it goes back to my love of history and politics and just general citizenship. So to answer your question, the fact that I show up, I continually show up, whether that be for Leadership Montana or for any one of my boards or committees, advisory boards, I show up, even ones that are going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. What brings you joy? Tackling tough issues and working through serious problems. What gives your life meaning and purpose? I would say my dedication to others and commitment to service. What's your favorite thing about the Flathead Valley? Summers. Summers, you can't beat summers in the Flathead. If you could spend one day in somebody else's shoes, who would that be and why? <laughs> Eric, my dark sense of humor is rearing its ugly head, and we're going to leave it at that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Deal. You ready for uh, one word One word prompts? Yes. Okay. To, to bring us home. Kalispell. On the move. Montana. Home. Perseverance. Adaptive. Curiosity. Essential. Vulnerability. Tough. Leadership. Also essential. And difficult 
challenging, but very necessary. Tony, last one, service. The only thing I've ever known. Tony Brockman, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks to Tony Brockman for coming on the show. And thanks to you for listening in. If you've enjoyed today's episode and want to support Listen First Montana, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Those small steps can really help us connect these stories to more listeners. Our intro song is a rendition of the Montana State song by Scott Gudger, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. For Leadership Montana, I'm Eric Halverson, and this is Listen First, Montana.